Hello, everyone, and welcome back. You are listening to the Zoe Japan podcast. This is Aneri. And this is Yuri. And today we are continuing our discussion on child pornography, specifically virtual or simulated child pornography. Yuri, I think it might be a really good idea if you just define child pornography again, uh, especially for those listeners that missed episode number three, because this is actually part two of our child pornography series. So,、um, can you define that for us again, please? Yeah.、Uh, in episode three, we used this definition from Wikipedia.、Uh, I can read it again. Child pornography is most often made by taking pictures or videos or more rarely sound recordings of children who are wearing less clothing than usual. Wearing no clothing or having sex. And then the part that relates specifically to today's topic child pornography can also be drawn, written, or created by a computer. In that case, it is called simulated child pornography or virtual child pornography. The child in the pornography is simulated or virtual, meaning that child is not real. And as you said, we took this as a more global definition. So a lot of countries would follow、um, this、uh, definition.、Mm. But in Japan, it is a little bit different because、mm. Japanese legislation excludes virtual or simulated child pornography.、Mm. And I know that this is a huge controversial issue <laughs> here in Japan. I mean, a lot of people feel we should absolutely, definitely include it、um, in the definition.、Mm. And others are saying, no, there's freedom of speech or freedom of expression through the arts.、Mm. So,、um, can you maybe just share a little bit more light on this issue from a Japanese perspective?、Mm. Yeah, it is a very sensitive and hot issue, and the government is having a tough time to try and move forward in a way that will satisfy、mm. everyone, which is really, really difficult. <laughs> the main problem comes down to artistic content such as you know, manga and anime, you know, which has a huge, huge fan in Japan. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be very weird because you are a really young person and I feel so old right now. But can you maybe just explain what is manga and anime? I know you, it's weird to believe, but there are actually some listeners that might not be familiar with these、okay. terms. <laughs> no problem.、Uh, manga refers to a unique style of Japanese comic books or graphic novels and anime,、uh, it's, it's a type of Japanese animation. Both are extremely popular. Uh, in Japan and also outside Japan. I was so surprised when I came to Japan many years ago to discover exactly how popular it is,、mm-hmm. even among adults, or I should actually say, especially among、mm-hmm. adults.、Um, in my home country, adults don't read comic books.、Oh. So I really found it quite strange in the <laughs> beginning, to be honest.、Um, but I read some research by the Nippon Research Center. So they did a survey in October 2019.、Mm. And that survey showed that about 33% of Japanese people. Often、mm. read manga or watch anime. Oh, wow. I even thought it could be much higher. <laughs>、oh, <wow. laughs> yeah, but you're right. It is very popular among all generations, even you know, some grandparents' generations as well.、Mm. In 2017, the sales volume of manga, magazines, and comic books amounted to approximately 582 billion copies.、Oh, wow. So it is a huge market. My goodness, billions, not even <laughs> millions. That is crazy. And that means it must be a huge money making machine, such a lucrative industry. 
No, personally, I'm not a manga fan yet, at least, but I believe there are some really good stories um, in some mm. of these uh, series, and they have a very, very loyal fan base. <laughs> and people normally cannot even wait for next week's edition to be released. <laughs> so are you personally a manga fan? Mm, maybe not anymore, but I used to love manga as a kid. As a child, I really loved reading uh, Hunter Hunter, Slam Dunk, Yu Yu Hakusho, all those oh, great ones. <laughs> I'm so proud and you know of the high quality manga and anime that is produced by Japan and really is enjoyed by people from all over the world, I believe. I am embarrassed to say I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't even know those names. It's terrible. I need to brush up on Japanese <laughs> culture. So how does something that is so popular and so creative like manga and anime, how does that become a problem from a child pornography perspective? Hmm. Unfortunately, many of the publications contain image of violent sexual acts between adults and children, or even between, you know, really gross creatures and children. Mm. Some stories also promote incest, uh, which is a, you know, a sexual relationship between family members such as siblings or parents and, you know, children. Mm, yeah, definitely not things we want to encourage. Mm. And, and now I can actually understand why it's such a controversial issue here in Japan, because very profitable industry, as we said. And if we move as a country to classify some of this content as child pornography, mm. it's going to be a huge financial blow to the industry and probably have a lot of uh, unhappy people, fans that are mm. very passionate about the specific uh, storyline that they are following. So a mm. uh, tough, tough issue. Yeah, that is correct. I mean, if you look up this issue on Google, you can find all kinds of hot, hot, like, you know, debate mm. discussion online uh, in Japan. Some manga and anime lovers argue that it's really just, you know, just a drawings from someone's imagination and it's a form of art and therefore it's not hurting a real child. Then there are opposing opinions from child rights advocates that say it should be recognized as child pornography because it arouses the viewer and could lead to exploitation of a child. And mm. that is uh, what uh, we as Zoe Japan believe as well. Mm. I think one argument I've heard is some research apparently indicates that child pornography could be a safe release for pedophiles and that it might actually prevent them from abusing real children. Mm. But uh, what is your view on that? Yes, there are some studies that try to prove that point. But it is clear that most countries that are actively fighting child trafficking and abuse and, you know, they agree that it is increases the risk for mm. children. Mm. I think there is enough evidence of convicted child sex offenders that admit that masturbation after viewing such, you know, material was not enough. So they go on and had to abuse a real child. Mm. We have this actual cases uh, study in Japan. We need to make our policies based on what is in the best interest of the child. And we believe that depicting children as sexual objects, even, you know, through virtual images, is not in their best interest, obviously. Mm. I'm no expert in this area, but um, I cannot help to link this to various studies of pornography mm. and how it actually impacts the brain, especially of people that are addicted. Mm. Uh, maybe we should actually do an episode on that one time. I think that would be really interesting. But according to some of the experts that I've listened to, you know, there's a lot of uh, stuff online that you can read up and, and watch. But apparently people that are addicted to pornography, they constantly need to seek out 
new material, mm. um, material that is more and more extreme and more and more aggressive so that they can get the same kind of arousal and satisfaction from mm. it. And that means that we actually have a risk that a pedophile might initially start out mm. and just look at virtual pornography. Mm. And then that doesn't become enough. So he or she might then actually move on to actual photos or videos and then perhaps abusing a real child. So a really high risk. Yeah. And I feel that we still have a long way to go in this area, both in terms of our um, understanding of how people respond to the material as well as suitable actions that, you know, we can take to protect children out there. Mm. Maybe a bigger immediate concern is how this material is used to groom children. Mm, grooming. I mean, grooming is something, uh, those of us working with child pornography, it's mm. a familiar term to us. But can you um, just elaborate a bit and explain this term to our listeners? Yeah. Uh, grooming is the process that a trafficker or an abuser uses to gradually win the trust of a child with the intent to exploit them. So some traffickers or abuser um, you know, go on this uh, process online as well. And some might take, you know, one week and mm. some might take maybe one year. It depends. Actually, this happened to one of my Japanese friends. Uh, when she was just a little girl, there was a park very close to their apartment. So mm. she used to play there every day with her brother. And mm. uh, there was a young guy that made friends with them and who was always playing with them. So they really trusted him. They really liked him. Mm. And uh, because of that, um, they went with him when he invited them to his apartment. Mm. And there he removed his clothes and he indecently exposed himself. And uh, fortunately, they managed to run away. So they were oh. not physically hurt uh, in that incident. Mm. But the emotional scars, it took a really, really long time to heal. Yeah, I can imagine. I'm so glad they were able to, you know, run away mm -hmm. at least. Mm -hmm. And that is a good example of how these perpetrators work. When it comes to manga and anime, we need to remember that children are naturally attracted to stories and cartoons and, you know, in innocently believe everything in that story is true. Mm. Um, recently, when we interacted with some preschool kids, I was just reminded again, you know, when little kids, when they put on like a superhero outfit, <laughs> Superman or whatever heroes they have nowadays, um, mm. it's like they get those superpowers themselves, right? They really believe this is true. This is real. So as you say, very innocent. And they are so attracted to that. Mm, exactly. So when a pedophile or trafficker befriends a child and starts, you know, showing them how adults and children are having sex, in those manga and in anime, they start to believe, you know, that it might be just normal and, you know, they might even be curious and interested to try it out. Not only does it place them at risk of becoming a victim, but through repeated exposure, it might actually plant a seed, you know, in their mm. minds that eventually leads them to become perpetrators themselves. Yeah, so, so dangerous. Um, you know, I read a really great explanation of how pornography is used. And mm. it was a newsletter. It's a little bit old uh, from 2004. And it was published by the National District Attorneys Association in mm. America. So I just mm. found it online, but I thought it was a very, very good one. So let me just uh, quickly read this. Okay. Um, child molesters use both adult pornography and child pornography in the grooming process, but for different purposes. So the adult pornography is most often used to arouse the victim and break down the child's barriers to sexual behavior. Mm. But the child pornography is also used to break down the child's barriers, but it serves the additional purpose of communicating the molester's sexual fantasies to mm. the child. 
and repeated exposure to either adult or child pornography is intended to diminish the child's inhibitions and give the impression that sex between adults and children is normal, acceptable and enjoyable. Oh, wow. That is uh, very dangerous. I like that explanation, though. It really helps to you know understand the risk of having such materials in the first place. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important to realize what you know that we can't we can't overcome this issue just by reviewing you know laws and policies mm-hmm. the best thing parents can do is to teach their children from young from a young age about you know what good pictures are and what bad pictures are and to remind them that you know they should never do anything that an adult asks them if they have no if they haven't uh, confirmed with mom or dad or any guardian that is, you know, okay, even if they feel that they know and trust the adult. Now, I want to pick up on this uh, trusting the adult because um, all of the global research documents um, indicate that 90% of the children that are abused uh, in some way actually know their abuser. Mm. So uh, these perpetrators are uncles and aunts, it could be grandparents, it could be a sibling. And I think children really should know that they have the right to say no um, to any kind of strange request. And they also need to know their parents are not going to blame them. Their parents Mm. will listen to them and support them if something happens. Mm. Yeah, that is a really good point because usually children are, you know, threatened when they're abused. You know, if you tell anybody about this, then you're going to, you know, break the Mm. whole family, um, you know, relationship and all that stuff. So child cannot speak up about the experience. Mm. And I also think this, you know, it's a very valuable for parents to read that manga or, you know, watch the anime that they're that the children are enjoying. It is much easier to point out risks or questionable content if you know what they're exposed to. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a, a good point because uh, even if, if parents just ban all manga and anime in their house, they're going to get it at school. They're going to mm. find it with their friends. So it's better for parents to understand and to educate children, as you say. Mm. Um, I just want to recap a little bit before we move on to the next topic. So simulated or virtual child pornography, mm. still legal in Japan right now, and mm. mainly manga and anime, which are really Japanese uh, artistic forms. Mm. And the risks that we are mainly concerned about is, firstly, it might be encouraging pedophiles to abuse real children, mm. or it can be used as a tool for the grooming process, which um, pulls those children into child trafficking and deceiving them into mm. believing it's okay and uh, they should act those sexual actions out in real life. Yes. Mm. So if we can move a little bit away from manga and anime, um, I would like to, uh, to talk about something else in Japan, which is called chaku yero. Mm. What is that? <laughs> yeah, that word is a you know combination of two words. Uh, chaku means clothing and ero comes from the word erotic. And it refers to photographs or films of children wearing, you know, like a see-through or very revealing clothing. And then they usually are, you know, asked to pose sexually. Yeah. Mm. And is chaku ero legal in Japan? Yes, unfortunately. Technically, the child is not, you know, naked. So it does not classify as pornography, Mm. even though like you can almost see everything you know of the Mm. child naked uh you know but because as long as the private parts of a child is not exposed directly it is not considered pornography in japan 
I've heard reports of kids that are very young, as as young as six-year-olds, that are considered to be Chaku Aero models. Mm, yeah, that's right. They can be very young. An international journalist from the BBC had an uh, interview with a Chaku Aero producer in the past. You know, he's like a photographer, where he stated that he can expect revenue of up to one million yen for a teenager. Um, but for a six-year-old, you can expect revenue of up to five million yen. Wow. I think that really shows this uh, a sexual appetite for younger children's pornography. Mm. It's uh, just getting worse and worse. Um, and I guess the same principle applies here as for other forms of simulated pornography. The pedophiles might start out with the chaku era where the, the child is partly clothed uh, mm. in some way. Um, but it's not a long time before they might have to move on to more hardcore pornography and mm. actually act out those desires with, uh, with a real child. Yeah, you're right. And what might be cute for one person, especially for parents, could be sexual temptation for the next. And our goal is to make parents aware so that they will, you know, consider the potential consequences when exposing their child like this. You know, I I see a lot of people post their, you know, children's pictures almost naked, you know, Mm. they're bathing and then taking showers sort of things. Um, They post that on social media, but you have to be very careful because you don't know what kind of people out there, you know, try to abuse that pictures for very dangerous uh, purposes. Mm. Yeah, it's important how these photos are used. As you say, in a family, a cute photo of a child just getting out of the bathtub, (laughs) you know, that is one story. But Mm. for a person that is addicted to child pornography or um, is a a perpetrator that wants to abuse children, that image is used in a completely different way. Mm -hmm. And I'm starting to recognize that almost any material that sexualizes children is placing them at risk. Mm. And of course, we cannot just make our children wear tracksuits and masks all the time and put them in a closet. That's not realistic. But there are so many people out there with evil intentions. Mm -hmm. And uh, as you've said repeatedly, knowing the risks, that is really going to help parents to make informed decisions and really empowering their children and making sure that they stay safe. Mm. Yes. So, Anari, actually, I want to ask you a question today. Oh, Sure. (laughs) Because I remember that you spoke about uh, child sex stores in the office recently. Maybe you can share a little bit about that with our listeners today. Mm, Yeah, that's quite a disturbing topic, actually. And Mm. um, it's something that I read about online. So um, a child sex doll is a life-size silicon doll. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think some people might be familiar with the adult sex dolls that are available on the market uh, for quite some time already. But it's advertised as being 100% anatomically correct. And mm-hmm. as the name implies, uh, this doll can be used by perpetrators um, or pedophiles then to act out their fantasies um, of abusing a real child. Mm-hmm. And I read about it for the first time in an Australian news article. And since then, I've tried to do a little bit of informal research online just to try and understand the situation a little bit more. Mm. Is it also a problem in Japan as well? Yeah, unfortunately, um, the main producers of these dolls Mm. um, are Japan and China. Mm. And then from here, it is shipped worldwide. And it is illegal in many countries, especially those countries uh, that also classify virtual uh, pornography as Mm -hmm. illegal. Um, For example, the UK and Australia. So Mm. big noise and they actually uh, check for that at Mm. airports and so on. But people are going to quite extreme measures to import these dolls. Mm. 
Mm, I remember you showed me some photos the other day, and it is pretty scary. They look almost exactly like real human, real children. Yeah, very scary. The technology, it's uh, incredible, actually, how how sophisticated it is. Mm. And I've read in multiple articles that you can actually take a photo of a real child to the supplier, and then they will produce an exact lookalike doll. And just imagine the shock if you uploaded a photo of your child onto social media. You mentioned earlier about the dangers of uh, social Mm. media. And you find a child sex doll in your neighbor's backyard that looks exactly like your child. Mm. Of course, even in Japan, if um, a case is found where it's a real child that the doll is based on, I guess there will be some legal consequences. Yeah, that's right. Um, If the image or doll is based on someone's imagination, it is still legal and okay to produce in Japan. Uh, But if it is based on a real child or photo of a real child, then it will be considered as illegal child pornography. Mm -hmm. There was actually a recent case um, related to this. There was a graphic designer actually drew some um, child pornographic uh, picture based on the actual uh, child. And uh, the court actually made a case that it was illegal. And many, many people uh, I've seen online were very upset about the decision. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking how difficult it is for um, the courts when they're Mm -hmm. facing these issues. I mean, when you're looking at an image that was drawn, um, how do you know when the the, how the image was inspired? Mm -hmm. You know, it's really, really tough. And uh, I think uh, what's interesting for me, at least, is with the child sex dolls, one of the factories in Japan is owned by a self-professed pedophile. Mm. And he is arguing that it provides a safe outlet for uh, his customers. But from a child trafficking prevention perspective, um, we really want to make sure there is nothing on the market, whether it's real or it's created from imagination, uh, Mm. that could encourage a potential perpetrator in any way to want to exploit a child. Mm. And secondly, as we spoke about the grooming, we don't want to give them any material or tools that can be used to groom children. Yes, that is a good summary, Anari. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, yeah, Zoe Japan is a member of the Japan Network Against Trafficking in Person. It's called Genetip. And through this uh, group, we have opportunities to discuss these issues with the government. We actually just had um, two meetings with the government officials, October and November. <laughs> and, you know, that is always very encouraging, you know, as a, as a Genetip group member, that they can support us to bring real change through mm. policy reforms and making sure that suitable penalties are in place for those offenders. Yes. And it is also great that there seems to be a shift in the perception of society in general. In the past, you know, it was unthinkable and kind of like taboo, you know, mm. you know, to talk about or speak openly about issues such as, you know, child pornography or any kind of sexual related topics. But now we are able to lift the veil on these tough points and at least start a discussion in society, you know. Mm-hmm. I like the the term lifting the veil. It's really like slowly starting to reveal <laughs> what this thing looks like. So I fully agree with you. We are so definitely on the right track here. Mm. Um, time is really running out so I think with that we we need to conclude our discussion for today and uh, thank you so much to all of our listeners for tuning in again it's been really great to have you and uh, remember you can join hands with Zoe Japan by sharing this podcast with your friends and your family and anyone that you think might be interested 
And remember, if you want us to speak at your school or office or church in Japanese or English, please reach out to us. We can also do online online session as well. Contact details are available in the podcast notes or on our website. Mm, that's a really great idea, especially the online one. Nowadays, <laughs> I think this is really practical. So, um, yeah, that's excellent idea. Please do that. And uh, if you want to learn more about Zoe Japan, please remember to go and check out our website, and that is gozoe.jp. And you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. So thank you for joining. See you next time. Please support Zoe Japan. With your help, we can reach every person and rescue every child.